Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 19. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people." And I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make, you, make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the way cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, 
Hear the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I, as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in exceedingly an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Thank you, Brock. We remember once again this morning on this Lord's Day that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's just ask his help as we consider this passage before us. Father, we come before you once again, and Lord, we realize even as Ezekiel, Lord, standing over this valley of dry bones, that Lord, it is not so much the the words of the prophet that bring forth life, but it is your spirit through them that raises up to life. And so we look to you, Lord, now by your, your word and your spirit to continue to sustain the faith of each one. Lord, to continue to give strength and wisdom and insight. Lord, would you be pleased through your word this morning to, to breathe upon us afresh, Lord, new insights, um, Lord, convictions over sin, a increased love for Christ and, and the, the work that he has done, Lord, the beauty and wonder of the, the new covenant that you foretold even through the prophet here. And Lord, that we can truly have hearts of gratitude before you, though we are still in this world, Lord, we are yet not of it. And we realize that we have been brought near to the living God through Christ and sanctified in his blood. And so, Lord, I pray these truths are, are precious to each one. And for those who, who have yet to, to look upon Christ and to live, we pray that even this morning that there would be saving faith and true uh, repentance and belief in Christ. We pray this all uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. A lot of uh, jumping around as far as uh, where we're at in the Bible. We're still continuing on the study we, we began in before Christmas, looking at the covenants of God and uh, worked through a number of the covenants in the Old Testament with Adam, with Abraham, um, with Moses, the covenant at Sinai with the people of Israel. And the covenant then kind of focused in the person of David and this 
kingdom, this enduring kingdom and throne promised to David and coming into a land where God himself dwells among his people and is their very strength and presence and protection. And so last week we then uh, looked at the covenant of redemption, which as I said, in many ways uh, would make sense to start with because it is the covenant that is established before the foundations of the earth between the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, covenanting together to bring forth a people out of mankind. And so it is that eternal covenant uh, in that sense, but it becomes plain to us as we progress through redemptive history. So that's why we we looked at it after the uh, covenants seen in the Old Testament, as we come especially to the writings of Paul and to the life of Jesus. We looked at the high priestly prayer where Jesus talks about the glory he had with the Father and the people that the Father had given to Christ and that he had made his word known to them and he was going to the cross to redeem them and he's praying for them. And, uh, and so this covenant of redemption uh, that God purposes to bring forth a people, the Father electing and purposing, the Son accomplishing through his coming to the earth as man, uh, living under the law, dying to pay for our sins, rising in victory, and the Spirit, the one who applies this work to the people of Christ, who brings us to life. And so that brings us then to the new covenant, which obviously flows out of this covenant of redemption, the covenant in Christ's blood through which he redeems a people to himself, and we receive what Ezekiel is describing here in Ezekiel 36. So I imagine we've all anticipated uh, at different times something new. Uh, Maybe you have, you know, driven uh, around for a long time in an old vehicle and you've been saving up and you have your eyes on a, a new or newer vehicle and when you consider that new vehicle, the more you, you learn about it, the more you understand the features of it, the more you anticipate having it. Maybe the four-wheel drive works consistently, or maybe the, the headlights are, are better. Maybe it has, you know, most vehicles now have the ability to connect to your phone directly so you can play your music through your, your phone, or, or maybe it has the heated seats. Whatever it is, as we learn the features of that coming new item, then our anticipation increases. Um, maybe you're looking forward to a new appliance. And uh, you know, I think most of us probably have the mindset that you try to use an appliance till it dies. And uh, at that point, you replace it. And uh, it became my wife's goal at one point to see how long we could keep our oven alive. And eventually it did just kind of get to the point where it wasn't worth repairing anymore and it was burning stuff. And so you, know, you look forward to the features of the new. And here in the Old Testament, while the people are in bondage in Babylon, God proclaims to them the features of this coming new covenant that he is going to establish with his people. And the features of it are unique to the new covenant. They are something that the old covenant could not deliver um, in and of itself. And uh, and so we want to look at what are those features. And just a little bit of uh, context to Ezekiel. <clears throat> we don't, you know, maybe think a lot about these, uh, these prophets in the Old Testament. But uh, Ezekiel began his ministry in about 593 B.C. So, you know, this is many years prior to the coming of Christ. 
and probably served for about 22 years until 571. He was actually a contemporary of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, probably about 20 years older than Ezekiel. And also a contemporary of Daniel. Daniel, probably around a similar age um, as to Ezekiel. And so it's, you know, I think a lot of times we read these books and we think of these men as very distant, very separate. But these are, these are men who, who spent time in Babylon as exiles. Um, and and they, they proclaim the word of, the God, of, of God in a very dark and hopeless situation. And yet it's in the midst of that hopeless situation that God proclaims the wonders of the coming new covenant and describes the features of it. Um, Ezekiel also was a priest. And so he, uh, like some of the other, like Jeremiah and Zechariah, has this dual function. And so he has a unique concern about the the temple and the the ceremonial cleanliness of the people. Um, So just a little bit of background there about this man, Ezekiel, whom the Lord calls to proclaim his word to the people of God, even while in exile. And so if we consider the passage here, um, Ezekiel is a very weighty book. And uh, I guess in God's providence, those who are working through the Bible reading plan, we've been reading through Ezekiel and actually just finished reading some of these chapters. And we find that it's a book of, of judgment, of, 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 of gloom in many ways, God bringing about the judgment upon his people because of their unfaithfulness. And not just upon the people of Israel, but upon the nations around them. They also will experience the judgment of God. In fact, just previous to our passage, God pronounces the judgment upon Edom. And uh, what God will do because of their wickedness and their evil before him. So in the midst of this weighty book of warnings and judgment, God also speaks of coming restoration of renewal, and I think ultimately points even to the glorified state under Christ himself. And I think for us as well, you know, we um, look at Israel and realize it didn't take that long for them to want to go back to Egypt after they'd been brought out. They, they began to complain and they thought of the, the food they had available to them in Egypt. And they were complaining and wanting to go back. And, and we may think that's so foolish. And yet even today, there are many who would want to go back to a system of works. Who try to take what we've received in the new covenant and turn it into something of a mortgage. Where we are going to pay God back for what he has done. Or people that are drawn back to the old covenant laws and, and ceremonial rites that were given to Israel. And so I think there's a, a good reminder for us here as well that we are to remain and abide in the goodness of this new covenant. So what are the features that God describes to Ezekiel? And we won't get through all of them in, in great detail this morning. But uh, first of all, as we see God describing this um, for his people, I want to note that the first feature is that God will truly cleanse his people. And we're told repeatedly that God is doing this for the sake of his own name. His name has been profaned among the nations because of Israel's sin, because of their idolatry. The nations look upon this people and they think, wow, their God must not be that powerful. God, their God must not be that concerned with, with how they live. And God is saying, I'm going to act 
in this new way um, for my own namesake, and I will vindicate it among the nations. And he repeats that in verse 22. uh, He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, in verse 23, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. And that phrase, the nations will know that I am the Lord, appears over 60 times in this book. Uh, So this is again and again, God is going to make his name known among his people and among his nations. And we find that God will gather them in verse 24. And he says in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So the, one of the primary features of the new covenant that is coming in Christ is it will result in a true cleansing and purification of God's people. And it's this imagery almost of the people at Mount Sinai, remember, where God called them to the mountain and they were to purify themselves. They were to wash their clothes. They were to wash their bodies. They were to, to, to not come, uh, let even the animals come near and touch the mountain. And, and God says that in, in that similar uh, fashion, there will be a cleansing of my people, but it will not just be an external sort of ceremonial cleansing. But what is being referenced here is an internal cleansing, a true, thorough cleansing of the iniquity of God's people. And uh, I want to flip over just for a moment. You can join me if you'd like, or if not, that's fine too. In fact, if you have a bookmarker in your Bible, you could just throw it in to Hebrews 9. We'll jump back and forth a little bit. Uh, Of course, Hebrews, I think, is tremendously helpful as we consider the, the, the benefits and the blessings of this new covenant. Now, in contrasting how the old covenant under Moses cleansed the people and, and, and how the new covenant will do this, listen to the author of Hebrews in uh, verse 13. We read, For if the blood of bulls, oh, sorry, if the blood of goats and bulls, this is Hebrews uh, 9, 13. If the blood of of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the author of Hebrews here is, is, is showing the superior nature of the new covenant in that it is able to purify even our conscience from dead works that we might serve the living God. Contrasted with the old covenant, which we see the sprinkling of the blood of the goats, the ashes of the heifer, it was for the purification of the flesh, but it could not penetrate into the very heart and soul of the worshiper and there purify them before God. And so the, 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 all the ceremonial rites of the Mosaic system, it's not that they were entire, entirely meaningless. There was a ceremonial clean, cleanliness that they were to experience what Hebrews is describing here as a purification of the flesh. Through these ceremonial rites, they were able to continue in the land. They were able to continue to draw near to God and to worship him. And when they grieved, when they, when they sinned, they could offer the blood of the animals. They could offer the sacrifices. And God would, would pass over their sin in that sense. So there's a, way, a sense in which they were ceremonial, out externally cleansed. 
But the old covenant could not cleanse the conscience. And so it's also pointing us forward. All of the ceremonial rites, all of the sacrifices are ultimately then pointing us forward to what Christ would accomplish in his blood, this cleansing of his blood in the new covenant, that which the blood of bulls and goats could not do. So this feature of the coming covenant, God says, is I will cleanse my people. And just over in Hebrews 10.1, we read, For the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sins, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written in me of the book. Christ does not bring the blood of bulls and goats. He brings himself to be the offering by which we can be made perfect, something that the old sacrificial system could not do. And so this is a wonderful feature of the new covenant. It is able to cleanse the conscience, to perfect us before God, not just in a ceremonial external sort of way, but internally cleanse us from our guilt and our shame before God. And you remember how in the Gospels, like in Matthew 23, 27, Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees. Why? Because they were obsessed with this external sort of religion. And Jesus said, you are like whitewashed tombs outwardly. You have washed and cleansed yourself. You have done all of the ceremonial washings and, and you've maintained the sacrifices, but you have neglected the inner corruption of sin. And he says in that way, uh, you, uh, he's rebuking them. You are like whitewashed tombs. You are a brood of vipers. You, you clean, clean the outside of the cup, but neglect to do the inner work of repentance. How many of, uh, of you uh, kids have maybe helped mom wash the dishes and you scrub the outside of the bowl and so that when it sits on the counter, it looks clean from appearance, but then when you pick up the bowl and look at it, there's still some bits of soup maybe left in there and someone goes, oh, gross, there's still food in here and throws it back in the sink, right? And Jesus is saying that's something of what the Pharisees were doing, but this new covenant, it will cleanse within. And it's important as well as worshipers of God, but also as parents, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are careful not to only deal with the externals. Whether it's in disciplining our children, there is uh, obviously a sense in which we discipline them uh, at times using external means, whether it's a, a spank or I remember as a kid, you know, sometimes I don't know if I had used a swear word or I was calling my sister names probably. And, and mom tried the classic move of, of washing your mouth out with soap. And I still do have something of a memory of that terrible taste in your mouth. And, uh, and maybe you've tried that. I don't know how effective it is. But, um, but really, these external forms of discipline, as, as, as important it is that we discipline 
We also must be calling for repentance, the inner cleansing of the heart of brokenness before God. And this is only something that can be brought through the new covenant in Christ's blood. And you need to ask yourself as well, have you experienced this inner cleansing of forgiveness in Christ? A conscience made clean. Not that we think ourselves perfect, but we have this clear sense before God that I will stand before the Father and I will not be condemned in my sin because Christ has atoned for me. He has taken away my sin. He has covered over it with his blood. And so I don't fear judgment day in that I will be ultimately condemned for my sin because Christ has cleansed me by his blood. And in that sense, we have assurance. We have peace with God. We know that we have been washed and made right. And this is a tremendous blessing of this coming day, which Israel lacked. Time and time again, they would chase after the idols and disregard the law of God because their hearts were far from him. But not only will we be truly cleansed, we also see secondly in this new covenant. Secondly, we will receive a new heart and a new spirit, God says through Ezekiel in verse 26. So there'll be a true cleansing, but there'll also be a new heart and a new spirit. He says, I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So there is not just a cleansing and a forgiving of sin, but then there is the the putting in of a new spirit, of a new heart, the taking out of this heart of stone, God says, and I will put within you my very spirit. This will be a, a transformation, not just externally, as much of Israel's transformation was, this will be an inner transformation of the heart. Matthew Henry said, God does not force men to walk in his statutes by external violence, but causes them to walk in his statutes by an internal principle. And this is the beauty of the new covenant. We are not serving God out of a sort of slavish fear, afraid that, that he will beat us with the rod if we misstep. But now, because our heart has been transformed, we have been given new desires for the, for the word of God, for the ways of God and the people of God. And we're, we're given now this, this deposit of his spirit that compels us inwardly through love to serve him and to know him and to seek after him. Now, we know there is still remaining sin. There is still that old Adam, that old nature that, that is always warring against us. And so we are, we are a conflicted people in that sense, that we are not yet made perfect in the sense of glorification, but the work has been accomplished, the Spirit of God given, and begins this work of sanctification within us, causing us to walk in the ways of God. And this is unique to the the new covenant in Christ's blood that that actually transforms the heart. The promises of the Abrahamic and the Mosaic and the Davidic covenants were were true. God's promises stand and he was going to bring them to pass. But these covenants did not give the people the ability to walk according to God's 
ways. They held out God's law and God's standard, and they proclaimed the the good news of, of God's faithfulness, but it is not able to actually change the worshiper. Only the new covenant in Christ is the means through which we are transformed, and sometimes it can be referred to as even the covenant of grace, this way in which God graciously changes our hearts and makes us new in Christ. There are many, of course, uh, New Testament scriptures we could look at that speak of this reality for the Christians. One of my favorites uh, is Titus 3, 3-7, and in Titus 3, we, we pick up this language. You can tell these um, New Testament authors have these very passages in mind as they describe the blessings of the new covenant. Listen to how Paul describes it in Titus 3.3. 3. He says, For we were once ourselves foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, um, despicable, hating one another. And so this is our... Our inheritance from Adam, our rebellious, sinful nature, giving ourselves over to the power of the prince of the air. Um, But then in verse 4, he goes on and says, But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And you you get all of that imagery that Ezekiel is describing. This washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit who is poured out upon us. This is exactly what Ezekiel is describing and looking forward to. The reality of the new covenant. This inner transformation of the heart which we refer to as regeneration or the second birth. This is foundational to the new covenant and its blessings which Christ has won. This is why Jesus would tell Nicodemus in John 3, 5, that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again, you get this this imagery from Ezekiel, the the cleansing with true water and the the new heart and the new spirit put within you. And Jesus says to, to, to Nicodemus, if you're not born again, if you don't experience this new covenant blessing, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God which for the Jew was devastating because they had assumed the kingdom was all in regards to the external, the the national identity of Israel and and the the, the literal throne of David. And and so to, to be told that they can't enter the kingdom unless they experience this rebirth was was a devastating thought for them. And this is why many rejected Christ. And even today, many of the descendants of Abraham reject Christ because they will not let go of the idea of a national identity, not this spiritual reality of the new birth, the replacing of the heart of stone. But this is what marks the people of God in the new covenant. My father-in-law had a a liver transplant quite a few years ago now, and it's, it's one of those things where Um, If you have yourself a medical condition or someone you care about has a medical condition, then you all of a sudden start learning as much as you can about it. 
And prior to that, I had not known anyone that had a organ transplant. <clears throat> One of the, the things I found very interesting was immediately after the transplant happened and he received the, the new liver, he had to take um, anti-rejection pills and he has to take those for the rest of his life because there is the possibility of his body still rejecting this liver, um, recognizing that it's not his own. And so these uh, anti-rejection pills are very important. And it, it made me think a little bit of um, this reality in the new covenant in that we are given a new heart. We are given a heart of flesh that now desires the things of God and loves the things of God. But there is still also the reality of indwelling sin. And this, this old man, according to Adam, that has been crucified, yes, but is also continually trying to, to claw its way back into a place of dominance. And, and so there is now this war and there is this battle and our flesh trying to drive out the new deposit of God's spirit within us, this new nature. And really, this is where the Christian battle is often most intense. We have to use the, if you will, the anti-rejection medicine of God's means of grace, of his word and of prayer and of the fellowship of the saints. And, and we are to daily take up our cross, Jesus said, and follow after him, being crucified daily to the old man and to the desires that war against us. And this is an exhausting reality at times. But as we look to the promise and faithfulness of God to finish this work, and as John would say that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, we see the surpassing power of God, the same power with which Jesus was raised, we're told, is now at work within us. We have hope and confidence that we will press on, we will persevere in this. And uh, I want to read as well for uh, some application because Hebrews 10, and looking at this reality of the new covenant gives direct application in 1016. And we've already read part of that, but um, and he quotes in 16 um, Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah 3131 says something very similar to Ezekiel in regards to this new covenant that in those days he will put his law on our hearts and write them on our minds and will remember our sins and no more and our lawless deeds no more. And in light of this new covenant work, the author of Hebrews in verse 19 says to us, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so these are all immediate applications that we are given in light of this new covenant work in Christ's blood. Draw near to God with confidence because his blood has covered us. It has t- 
taken away all of our, all of our sin, all of our reproach. Come to God. Come to Christ as your high priest. Draw near with full assurance, heart sprinkled, he says, um, clean from an evil conscience. Hold fast to your confession because God is faithful. And stir one another up to love and good works. And do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. These are ways in which we are to respond to the blessings of this covenant gift. The blessings of a new heart and a new spirit. And we see not only does God cleanse us, and not only does God give us this new spirit and this new heart, but we are empowered to walk according to his ways. And this is also very important, that it is not just that we are brought into the family of God and cleansed, and then we are just to kind of you know, put our feet up and, and relax in, in this new uh, state. But now God says, I want you to go on living out my commandments, walking in obedience to my word, doing my will now as new covenant people. And he says uh, back to Ezekiel 36, when he puts his spirit within his people, uh, verse 27, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And this was something that Jeremiah 31, 31 points out as well. The law of God in this new covenant written within our, our very hearts that we would walk according to the word of God. And so it's not as though the old covenant under Moses and, and Abraham and David, is not as, as this old uh, system was about God's word and law, and the new covenant is not about God's word and law. That's not the point. It's that in the old covenant, it did not provide the means necessary to transform the worshiper. So that they could have the the pure conscience before God and and obey Him from the heart. But now, as Christ has come and has offered up Himself and by His Spirit regenerated His people, we can begin to walk according to the Word of God and obey Him with a heart of faith. This is not something we do uh, as well perfectly. But again, because we are covered by the blood of Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness, there is a sense in which our worship and our service to God is pleasing to God as blood-bought citizens of his kingdom, members of the new covenant. It's an incredible thought that as God would say of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, God also looks at the new covenant people, the true Israel of God, and says, these are my people in whom I am well pleased because they are covered in the blood of Christ. And we bring now the sacrifice, uh, Hebrews would go on to say, of praise and thanksgiving to God and worship to him. And we are to render these works to God. Even Paul in Ephesians 2 would say, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And what are these good works? Well, they are, even as we are looking at the Ten Commandments, they, they deal in our love towards God vertically and towards our love for man horizontally. And so we, we worship God. We seek Him in His Word and in prayer. And we, we meditate upon His Word. But we also serve one another. We are generous with our possessions. We take care to, to hear the, the needs of others. And, and when we seek to meet those. And we, we serve one another as a, as a body of Christ. Whether it's helping you know, clean up after a meal or gathering up hymn books or 
just shaking someone's hand and asking, how can I be praying for you this week? These are ways in which we are now living out these new covenant realities with one another. Thomas Brooks said, the obedience that springs from faith is the obedience of a son and not a slave. And that is the beauty of the new covenant gift. We are treated as sons, and as sons, we serve the Father out of love and adoration for him, not as slaves who are fearful of a beating if they don't complete the tasks. Another man, John Blanchard, said, Obedience is not the essence of a right relationship with God, but it is the evidence of it. And and that is so key that because of this work of regeneration, because of the spirit within us and this new heart given to us, we seek to obey God. But it's not that the obedience makes the relationship with God. It flows out of it um, because of what Christ has done. And I know we're basically out of time this morning, but uh, I want to read just a few verses as well from First Peter because as you think about the passage here in Ezekiel, and then you start reading the New Testament writers and how they are understanding the realities of the new covenant coming to them, uh, you see all of this, this imagery uh, just flowing out. And so First um, Peter 2 Verse 9, Peter writes, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so they clearly understood these covenant blessings now given not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile and in them being brought together as God's Israel, the people of God, those born of the Spirit and filled with His Spirit, that we would carry out the deeds of righteousness and proclaim the excellencies of God among the nations. All of that you see happening in Ezekiel. God will vindicate His holiness among the nations. He will be present with His people. He will empower them to walk according to His word. And all of this comes to reality in Christ and even in many ways, you think of the, uh, the picture of Pentecost. There, Jews from all over the world gathering together for this, this feast. And there, God pouring out his spirit upon his people, filling them. And, and in a sense, lighting the lampstand of his church, cleansing them. And they proclaim the glory of God and they stand as a people. And then in time, the Gentile nations also being grafted in to the tree of God's covenant grace in Christ. And Ezekiel gives these wonderful illustrations, which uh, I can't decide exactly if we'll take more time next week to look at, at that or not. But of course, you understand the picture 
of the valley of the dry bones. And there is a second one, which we didn't read just for the sake of time, but it is the two staffs in the, excuse me, in the prophet's hand. I got a drink of water. He tells them to take the uh, <clears throat> two staffs and hold them together and they will become one representing Judah and Israel to the north. And these two illustrations also help us understand the beauty of what God is describing. This resurrection of the valley of the dry bones. And this is very much a picture of what God has done among each believer, once dead in the trespasses and sins of unbelief and and lawlessness through the gospel as it is proclaimed, as it is prophesied to the nations by the Spirit. God resurrects a people, brings to life a people that stand before him as a great host and a great army that they will serve the Lord. And in fact, whenever you share the gospel or point someone to the word of God, you are in that sense, Ezekiel, prophesying to the dry bones to rise up and to live. And it's a wonderful picture of salvation. And the two staffs being brought together. We find um, the New Testament writers also talking of how Christ Divide, or bringing down the dividing wall, bringing together people who were once driven apart and separate. And these two illustrations enforce what the prophet is telling us. And at the very end of the section there, and then we'll close, in verse 24 of 37, we find again this imagery of the Davidic king ruling and reigning over the people of God, dwelling in the land given to my servant Jacob. And he says, um, verse 25, they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. And my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then the nation will, will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And we realize through the new covenant that this is not simply about the nation of Israel dwelling in the Middle East, but this is about Christ the King, the Son of David, establishing for himself a people, a kingdom, and they will inherit the earth and they will dwell forever secure in the presence of Christ. That is the blessing and promise of the new covenant. And so I pray that you have experienced that reality personally. The invitation is now going out and it is available to all people of all tribes, of all ages, if you will repent of your sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven. You will be given the gift of His Holy Spirit. He will dwell within you. He will transform you. And He will bring you into that eternal kingdom where Christ will reign forever and ever. And it is available not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile also, so that Christ may be all in all. Let's close there with prayer this morning. And... uh, pick up again next week. 
Heavenly Father, we, Lord, realize that we are um, very much standing at the, the final hours of this redemption that you have brought out, God, and we, we marvel at your patience over all of these centuries. Lord, we marvel at your wisdom and how you have prepared the way, Lord, even through the, the fall and, Lord, the, the flood, we think of your call of Abraham and establishing a people who would bring forth a Messiah. And though they broke your covenant and rebelled against you, Lord, still you brought forth Christ the Lord and have now, through the disobedience of Israel, brought salvation even to the Gentiles. And Lord, even as Paul would consider these things and, and he would just resound in worship and praise, Lord, we praise you and exalt in your name. We thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, help us to hold fast to Christ. Help us to continue to to battle against indwelling sin. Lord, not giving it um, opportunity, but by your word and your spirit, putting it to death. Lord, help us to love and serve you and serve one another as new covenant members. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.